Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. The roller coaster that is the Premier League continues to twist and turn like a rattlesnake in a potato sack as we bring you the game day Premier League post-match podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, Alex Crook and the man whose baby pictures have been plastered all over the tabloids this week, Premier League 100 Club member Darren Bent. Mourinho meltdown as Moyes men mount stunning comeback. Jordan Pitchfork as England goalkeeper skewers Van Dyke, And Virgil suffers his worst injury since Thunderbird 2 was mistakenly attacked by a US warship. Talking of people trying to be too clever, Arteta's Force 9 experiment fails and VAR is now officially just winding people up. Chelsea throw away a two-goal lead. I'll let you guess who was in goal. And Sheffield United and Fulham are no longer pointless. All that and more on the podcast that definitely had more shots over the weekend than Crystal Palace. It's the Game Day Premier League post-match podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. So yes, Darren Bent is here. Hello, how are you? I'm all good, thank you. You? Yes, you look so young and baby-faced in the pictures printed in the uh, Sun newspaper this weekend. Uh, what was the reason behind it? Uh, was this the interview that I did for... Um, it was, yeah. Yeah, yes, for, for the boot room, just was. talking about uh, yeah. that day Gareth Bale signed. I mean, even though the interview was with me, it was talking about Bale, so it was, uh, <laughs> it, yeah. it was all good fun, though. But there were some beautiful pictures of you. You look so cute and handsome and, and young. And, I think I, think uh, I look better now. Buff, actually. I think I look better now. I think I look better now. Yeah, I do. You think you've, you're you like like uh, whiskey. You've got better with age. No, but I think my haircut nowadays is a lot sharper than it was back then. And obviously oh, right. I cared more about my physique now than I did then. So so, so do you get on with Gareth Bale? Is he one of your mates? No, I wouldn't say he's one of my mates. We got on really well when we was at Spurs together. But you know what it's like? Right. Once once I left, um, yeah. it's not like it's like football friends, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You, you're good football friends. friends with, yeah. yeah, why you're at the club. But when you leave... That's it. And, and in terms of like career and where his went and your went, I mean, did you ever come on with your team leading by three goals to nil and then end up losing them a three goal lead? No, not as quickly as he did it. <laughs> That's for, that is for a fact. Uh, Alex Crook's certainly done that in Fireside side football. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been uh, well, it's been a good weekend, isn't it? Good weekend. Yeah, what of was football. your highlight? Um, my highlight was not watching Manchester United and then being pleasantly surprised by a 4-1 trouncing away from home. There you go. So maybe you're the jinx. Possibly, yeah. Maybe I should not watch every game. Yeah. Well, if they're on pay-per-view, you won't. Um, let's start with the story of the weekend then. Jordan Pickford's one-man demolition derby. The Premier League returns with the biggest game of the weekend, the 237th 
Merseyside derby. Robertson takes on Coleman, beats him low cross into the centre. Sadio Mane is there, six yards out to slam Liverpool in front. Inside two minutes and 20 seconds in towards Kane. And he's up there and he heads it beyond the goalkeeper, Adrian, who can't keep it out. It seemed to slip through his hands and Keane was up there once again to score. Comes back to Henderson on the volley. 18 yards out over the bar. Towards Richarlison again, oh! and he's in the post. Diving header, the foot of the post stops Everton from taking the lead. Cross into the box, away, comes back to Salah, who shoots on the volley after a poor clearance from Mina, and he scores his 100th Liverpool goal. Towards the head of Matiba, what a save! Out from the right-hand side from Jordan Pickford. Calvert-Lewin is underneath, oh! and he's headed oh! down and in! And Dominic Calvert-Lewin has got the equaliser for Everton. Arne, Richarlison. Richarlison's in trouble here. Michael Oliver sends out the red card and he has been sent off for Richarlison. Here's Mane down the left, the low ball, Henderson space, great save! It's oh. gone past him and into the net. Oh, it's a goal for Jordan Henderson in a derby, which wins it for Liverpool. Uh, hold on a second. Offside, Offside has been oh given. My oh. Well, oh I don't, my goodness. I can't see the monitor from where I am, but it has been ruled out. The last action of a thrilling Merseyside derby. Finished Everton 2, Liverpool 2. And the bad news is, is that Virgil van Dijk has actually got to undergo surgery on a ligament injury inflicted in the rashest of rash challenges from Jordan Pickford. Uh, by now, everyone's sort of seen the incident, gentlemen, so everyone's moaned about VAR and its application or lack thereof. So, Darren, I will... I'll try and sort of move it on a little bit, um, take the conversation in a different direction. How are Liverpool going to be impacted by the loss of Virgil van Dijk, such a talismanic figure for such a long time? Yeah, they're going to struggle. They're really going to struggle because we saw what they were like before Van Dijk got there. Um, and you know, they didn't really put up any trees. But the moment he went there, he completely changed lives. Him and Alisson. And Alisson's out for a little while as well. But to lose Van Dijk for the rest of the season, you'd, you'd have to look at whoever's played alongside him for a sustained amount of time. They haven't really set it alight, which is obviously why he keeps swapping between Matip one week and maybe mm. Gomez. But the fact that you're going to lose Van Dijk for the rest of the season, I can't see them winning the Premier League now. I really can't. It's that dramatic, isn't it? Everyone just completely, immediately reacts in that way. I mean, I think we've all probably done that. But the truth is, is that the Reds have actually conceded 27 goals in the 16 games since they last drew with Everton back in June, a nil-nil draw. And they look so vulnerable, Crookie, in the air. How do you solve that? Because, look, we wish him a speedy recovery, but actually, that's the job now for Jurgen Klopp. It is to solve this problem. Yeah, I, I suppose the one shining light is that because of the unusual circumstances with the season starting late and the transfer window being extended, there's only actually 10 weeks until the transfer window reopens again. I, the, the, the question would be... <laughs> that sounds ludicrous, doesn't it, really? But well, it's true. Well, it does. But the question would be, will the Liverpool owners back their manager and give him the money to bring in a world-class central defender? Because they probably need one anyway. Um, I still think... Gomez has got a lot of developing to do. They let Dayan Lovren leave in the summer, didn't really replace him. So even if Van Dyke gets back quicker than anticipated, and at this stage it does look like he might miss the whole of the rest of the season, I think they could still do with shoring up that back line. But the second question is, who do you get? Kula Bali, possibly. Upa Meccano maybe be the only two I would, at this moment in time class in the world-class bracket that Liverpool could feasibly go and sign. In the short term... I think they might even experiment with playing Fabinho in defence. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right because Matip will get injured because his history suggests that that is, is the case. And Joe Gomez has had a very difficult time, actually. Yeah. Not only um, at the end of last season, beginning of this season, he was taken off after 61 minutes of the Aston Villa game. He made a mistake in the first international break of, of the campaign. He was OK against Wales, but he, he needs... You say he needs to develop. He's 23 now. At 23, were you the finished article, Darren? Uh, no, nowhere near it. And listen, even when I got to 28, 29, I still didn't know what I was doing. But for, for someone like Gomez, um, I think he's got all the attributes. He's quick, he's powerful, he's strong. But I think it's this lapsing concentration which has really cost him. And I think that's cost Liverpool. Because as you're saying there, uh, Virgil van Dijk, he's a Rolls-Royce of a footballer, reads the game really well. But they've been so vulnerable this season because whoever's played next to him just just hasn't performed. And that's obviously left him a little bit exposed. And he, listen, we know we played Superman for so long, but eventually you're going to get found out. So when you take him out of the equation, the man who holds it all together, and then obviously you take the guy behind him in Allison, who's not going to be there either, I do fear for Liverpool now. Yeah, so Jordan Pickford is officially uh, <laughs> Virgil van Dijk's kryptonite. Um, Liverpool were the better team in that game. There's no doubt about that. They should have won. I know you two have talked about VAR already. And I don't want to go into the Jordan Pickford thing on that because of that reason. But I think maybe the way, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, maybe the way you solve VAR and the whole shall we reform it, shall we get rid of it debate, I think reform is the only way forward, is to soften its approach to offside, first of all. Because even though you run the risk of it becoming more subjective... It's subjective anyway, because we are all still arguing about the fact or not arguing about the fact or looking for a reason for uh, the disallowed goal at the uh, end of that Merseyside derby. I mean, so you don't need to use lines. Just say that if it's clear and obvious error by the lino, then use VAR. If it's not, crack on. Don't use the lines. Just if it is clear and obvious, mistake by the lino or, and the ref, then, then fine. We'll have a look at it and go from there. But it doesn't need to be so militant, does it? I mean, look, obviously you just can't change that. It's not a, it's not within the Premier League's gift to change it. It has to be a global thing to change that. So it's not like we can have this debate and actually David Ellery and Pierre-Luigi Colina, they don't care what we think. So they'll just crack on anyway and we have to put up with it because that's the way it is. But ultimately, surely that seems to me a soft, more soft stance on it seems to be the, the most palatable way forward. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. We had a caller on the boot room who uh, made that very point to just get rid of the lines and, and let it be done visually, uh, which is probably a, a slightly different suggestion uh, than the one you're making. But the, the basic principle is the same. I don't think there was anything wrong with the old uh, offside interpretation that if um, if a player was level with a defender, then he was deemed onside. Um, if there was clear daylight, he was deemed offside. It worked very well for a number of years. I don't actually think there were too many controversial offside decisions before the implementation of VAR. I think, really, it was more brought in for uh, penalty incidents and mistaken identity. So yeah. I, th- I think it's been overused for offside calls. Yeah. There's no question about that. Yeah, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin actually missed a couple of chances. Mane missed a couple of chances in that game. But in terms of quality and entertainment, this is Merseyside derby. Goodison Park, anyway. Uh, they're usually nil-nil at Everton's ground. This was one of the best in years, wasn't it, Darren? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, two good teams. But I think for, for years, though, this is the closest we've seen them is in terms of quality, Everton and Liverpool. Because for the last few years, Liverpool have been so far ahead when it comes to quality that you, it was just a question of when they were going to beat Everton. But I think... Finally, yesterday, two quite evenly matched teams. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in sensational form, playing really, really well. Rodriguez, Alan, Decore. For me, it was it was quite even, but um, the, the, the scoreline 
probably was the right score. But I do think Calvert-Lewin, I mean, especially the one, the form that he's in, the one that slid across the six-yard box oh, and he completely missed it. For someone who's in, who's in that kind of form that he's in, you'd expect him to, to, to finish that off. Why has he missed it? Why? Why Because he completely missed the ball, didn't he? It's just one of them times where it's coming across and you think you've scored before the ball's actually got to you. So you kind of lose concentration for a, a fraction and then the chance is gone because you'd have expected him, someone of his quality at the minute, to bury that. Yeah, indeed. Okay, let's get to Tottenham's TikTok shock. Well, on 81 minutes, I had given up on Tottenham Hotspur against West Ham United. It was 3-0. West Ham had been bad, like stinking the joint out bad. Like, are you even trying bad? But then, unbelievable comeback of all comebacks. West Ham become the first team in Premier League history to avoid defeat in a game having trailed by three-plus goals as late as the 81st minute. It's jaw-dropping. Absolutely jaw-dropping. What happened? Crookie? Well, I think it was a combination of West Ham showing tremendous character and Tottenham completely bottling it, to be honest. Um, I think there's... uh, there's a fine line between the two. But what would worry me as a Spurs fan is what Jose Mourinho said after the game um, about his players' mental state and that they couldn't handle it psychologically once West Ham scored the first goal. Um, if, if Tottenham consider themselves top four contenders, maybe even title contenders in this strangest of seasons, then they're going to have to overcome that mental deficiency because there are going to be games where they're seemingly in cruise control and then something happens to throw a spanner in the works. But they should have been able to see it out, even at 3-1, with, as you say, nine minutes remaining. The fact that they imploded so badly and allowed West Ham to get a point from that game is is a major cause for concern, I think, and, and probably not the homecoming that, that Gareth Bale would have wanted. And he had a great chance, didn't he, to, to wrap up the game. He, he put it wide and... You know, was that a lack of match sharpness? I, I don't know. Maybe... maybe you know, we, we know he likes spending time on the golf course. Maybe he just took the wrong club. He took a seven iron, should have hit it <laughs> with a nine one, iron. He used that one earlier, Cookie. Not only did he use it earlier on, I know where he got it from because someone texted it in our group earlier on and he used it on air and now he's tried to bring it back for the podcast. He did more recycling than uh, that centre at the end of my road that does recycling. Anyway, talking of bad statements, um, uh, the two worse statements than that's bad recycling joke today uh, I can't work out if it was me or David Moyes who said the most stupid thing David Moyes said I didn't think we played that b- badly in the first half I mean that that was about as laughable as you can get and then I'd sent a text at half time to a friend of mine which said I've got this theory that this season is so weird so mad because of the lack of fans etc etc that somebody random is going to win the title I've got just got this feeling that somebody random is going to win the title and I sent it to this guy it's going to be them it's going to be Tottenham they'll be up there he's sussed it he's realised this league has completely changed and it's all about scoring goals coupled with his naturally defensive instincts <laughs> and then they concede three goals in the last 10 minutes I can't work out who's more stupid me or David Moyes but anyway look, the, the, the fact is is that if, if he had turned around and said I left on 80 minutes went home and controlled the last 10 minutes from my flat on Zoom you probably would have <laughs> believed him more uh, than, than I didn't think we played that badly in the first half because I thought they were, they were awful 
yeah, they were terrible. I mean, they couldn't get to grips with it. The way they came out and started the game, um, being 3-0 down so quickly on, you just thought, oh, it's, it's game over. Um, I couldn't see... All, all I was expecting in the second half was Harry Kane to get the hat-trick, maybe Son to get another one, Gareth Bale come on and get his little party piece, and that would be the game over. But, I mean, you've got a question defensively, Spurs' mentality that last 10 minutes, because even when they got it back... To, to, uh, West Ham got it back to 3-1 I st- still wasn't overly convinced that Spurs could go on and win the game just because defensively they're so frail but it, it surprised me that Moreno didn't come out and question their um, their mentality because it just wasn't good enough defensively because when you're, you're beating West Ham a West Ham side who yet have had two very very good results when you're 3-0 up and you're playing as well as you did your last result was against Man United 6-1 you think they'd go on and win it comfortably but the fact that they imploded but so quickly I think that's a real cause for concern he yeah, took Son uh, off quite early, didn't he, in the game? And yeah. I, I just wonder if that invited West Ham onto them in some ways because he's such a, a good outlet, isn't he, in, in yeah. terms of turning defence into attack? Kane was magnificent in that first half, I thought, as well. The way he drops <coughs> deep now and plays balls over the top, he's just he's fantastic. He's just He takes his game up a notch every single season. He changes it slightly. And I think he's such a brilliant professional. I do worry about his lack of mobility going forward. At Tottenham, it, it's hidden by the fact that you've got these great, um, fantastically fast players around him. I do wonder whether or not when he goes and plays for England, he hasn't got as much of that around him. If it's slightly... If it's slightly shows up the fact that actually maybe he's lost a little bit of the pace that he had uh, before. Not that he was ever the fastest, but, you know, he, he, I just I'm just keep an eye on that injury and how much of an effect it's had on his physical condition because his movement for England was certainly not as good as his movement is for Tottenham, but he does a different type of job. Um, I did see Mourinho going mad on the touchline as well, at a midway point of that second half, and I thought... He thinks they're losing it here. He thinks they're losing their mentality because he's he's sort of seen the intensity go a little bit. And I suppose he's a master of this. He can spot this from a mile out. And if you do take your foot off the gas, just 5%, you can be in trouble very quickly. Um, that's been proved again. It has been, yeah. As I said, that's, that's the mentality thing. But that's Mourinho for it. He's a, he's a proven winner, serial winner. And he probably could sense it. Um, on the sideline that maybe the standards were starting to slip maybe the intensity weren't quite there they weren't really getting in after West Ham shutting them down and he, as, a, as a manager who's been at the very very top like he has he'll notice these little things and I'm sure the Spurs players I've, I've been there before when you're on the pitch you're, you're dominating the game and even though you're not playing as well as you were maybe first off but which got you into the lead you're still kind of like going through the motions a little bit thinking well they're never going to come into this game they're never going to get back into it but you know it's like the moment the other team scores one you can never quite recover now I never fully expected them to to concede three in what nine ten minutes but you can it's hard to get it back once you've been you've set a certain standard and an intensity and then you, you let them intensities drop a little bit and the other team get a foothold in the game it's really hard to then turn it back up again and then obviously go back on the when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Front foot. Here's Foden inside the penalty area. It's a fine save and a chance for Sterling and Manchester City have taken the lead. Raheem Sterling, midway through the first half, scores the first goal of the game. Leno managed to parry the initial shot, but he couldn't push it wide and out of danger. And it fell very conveniently for Sterling to snap up the opportunity. Four goals in his last three games for Raheem Sterling. Manchester City won, Arsenal nil. Brilliant goal. I don't think they were banging the doors down, but they had a great amount of possession. Um, it's a fantastic goal. Saka now just outside the penalty area. Tierney again, promising position for Arsenal. Saka once more, back to Aubameyang. And Bakayo Saka! Oh, oh it's a wonderful save by Edison. He came out to try to get on top of... Saka as he just shaked and opened up his body to score with his right foot. Just for a moment, the world stood still as the ball looped off Edison and just wide of his left-hand post. Mares and plays it back to Cancelo, trying to dribble his way into the edge of the penalty area. He's done well, actually, the Portuguese international. And still, in inside the box, Cancelo! Oh, and it almost went in off David Luiz. He just stuck out a foot and diverted it behind for a corner. It really could have gone anywhere. The master has just about seen off the apprentice. And Manchester City have beaten Arsenal by one goal to nil. OK, I said in the week that uh, Arsenal haven't won away at a big six side since January 2015, funnily enough, at Manchester City, and that's, that still stands. And it stands because, once again, Arsenal have lost to a top team. Why on earth did Mikel Arteta drop Lacazette, Crook? I don't know, in all honesty. I, I assume it was because he wanted... Uh... Well, when I saw the team sheet, I assumed it was because he wanted to play Aubameyang in a more central position, which kind of made sense, but that wasn't the case, was it? He had this bizarre idea that he was going to play Willian as a false number nine, which patently didn't work. I thought he'd solve the solution of how to get Aubameyang and Lacazette in the same team, but he obviously still feels it's a major issue when it comes to big games. But there are, there are two points to this uh, for me. One is is the negativity um, by going with a false number nine, and, and therefore they really failed to lay a glove on a Manchester City side, missing several key players and clearly still have worries at the back that Arsenal didn't exploit. And the second, and I mentioned this to Benty earlier, is Aubameyang and his lack of form since he signed that big new contract. That that would worry me as an Arsenal fan because he, he just hasn't, hasn't looked the same player. Since he signed the contract. But you know what? It's not even the fact that he's not scored a goal. It's the performances. He's been on the periphery too it, often. Exactly. And before before he signed this contract, he was absolutely everywhere. Running back, tracking back, putting tackles in, breaking forward. There was a real hunger and intensity to his game. And at the minute, like if he says he's not, then he's kidding himself because you can tell you can tell there's been a massive drop off, and I don't know if it coincides with the new contract, but you can tell that he's not playing in the same intensity that he had before he had he had the contract. You are the only one of the two of us that have been in this situation, or the three of us that have been in this situation. You must have been at clubs where you're playing for your future or a new contract or something, 
and then it comes your way or it doesn't come your way or you get your move or whatever does it change how you play does it affect you the fact that you've got security or the fact that you were trying to earn something and then it comes your way yeah potentially i mean if you're tra- if you're trying to earn something or you you're trying to get to a certain level you're going to give it absolutely everything and then when you get there even if psychologically you're thinking, right, I'm still going to do the same things, there's always tend to be a little bit of a drop-off and you can't help it sometimes. Do you know what I mean? When you focus so much, like Aubameyang was focused on getting this new deal, he deserved it. His performances showed that he, he, he deserved to be Arsenal or certainly one of Arsenal's highest players. You'll, you'll run the extra yard, you'll put in that little bit more effort and as I said, it may not be intentionally but subconsciously, you can't help it. So then now, when he looks at his performances, which he will do, People are going to start to ask the question: Well, was he was he just there for the contract? What's actually happened? And he'll be tell, he'll be trying to tell himself that's not the case. That's not the case. But when when he obviously sits down and analyses his performance from now, then before the contract, he'll see that there's been a massive change. Do you think, Crook, that there is a possibility here that actually he didn't really want to sign that new contract at Arsenal, but nobody else was going to come in at this stage with COVID nineteen restricted budgets? and pay big money for someone of that sort of age. I mean, it just hasn't happened this summer. We've had a lot of big money deals, but most of them have been for younger players and players that are in their early 20s rather than in their late 20s and early 30s. And actually, he reluctantly signed it because there was no other offer on the table. Yeah, I mean, only he will know that and his advisors, but I think there's every chance, if you look how long it dragged on from the FA Cup final when he in the immediate afterglow of the celebrations, hinted that he would sign a new contract. It was several weeks, wasn't it? In fact, it was after the first Premier League game that the formal announcement actually came through. So all you can deduct from that is that he was keeping his options open to see if one of the bigger clubs in Europe, a Champions League club, uh, were going to stump up the money, A, that uh, Arsenal would have wanted to release him and, and B, that he would have wanted in terms of a pay packet. That didn't happen. He signed the contract. And I think Arteta now is got to find a way to get him motivated enough to be the Aubameyang that almost single-handedly won them the FA Cup last season. Oh, they've got two players now that they're paying almost half a million quid a week to, more than half a million quid to a week to, and they still and they can't get the best out of either of them. Um, it can only happen to Arsenal. Uh, right, um, Manchester City obviously won the game. Pep Guardiola happy afterwards. Um, it wasn't particularly um, insightful after the match. So let's hear from Bernardo Silva, who made his first start of the season. He's been talking to our football editor, Jason Bourne. Well, a very good win for us. Uh, we played against a very tough team. We knew uh, how good they were, uh, how good their manager is. And um, yeah, it was tough. I think we started well the game. The first, the first half was better than the second. Second half, they put a lot of pressure on us. They pressed. Uh, high, they, they, they tried to put more players forward and it was tough for us. But yeah, as I said, after the defeat against Leicester and the, the, the draw against Leeds, we needed the three points and crucial three points to, to get back to get back on track and to, to try and, and, and start winning games on this Premier League because we need to, to go back to the top of the, of the table. And a player back tonight that you've missed over the last few months, Sergio Aguero, played, what, about an hour tonight? What about his contribution this evening? What he could bring you once again over the next few weeks? Well, I think everyone knows how important Kuhn is, is for us. Uh, the best goal scorer of the history of this club, probably one of the best players that ever played for this, for this team. Uh, and yeah, we still have plenty of players injured. Uh, it hasn't been a, a very easy start of uh, of the season for for our players because because we've had quite a few injuries. But hopefully the players will get back soon. But we already have a bigger squad now than we had last month. Uh, and yeah, the important other three points, and now on to the next one. And what about yourself? Just finally, how you're performing over these last few weeks? 
Well, I'm happy. I, I, I got injured in the beginning of the season with, with Portugal. Uh, then I came back and I played uh, two games I, I, with, with Man City. Now I, I started two games with Portugal, which was good to get the intensity back. And yeah, I'm happy with, with, my, with my performance tonight. I'm happy with the three points. Uh, and I just want to keep going and, and helping the team uh, uh, reaching, reaching the goals that, that, that we're aiming to. Right, let's pick apart the behind-the-paywall games which we had access to in our studios over the weekend. And he's got an overload down the right-hand side, a low cross into the penalty area, is deflected and it's gone in! And Newcastle have the perfect start within two minutes and it's a freak goal deflected in at the near post. Luke Shaw, the man who got the final touch, and the corner from Mata, and it's Harry Maguire with the header, and Harry Maguire comes up with the equalising goal for Manchester United, but it's Rashford who comes in field towards the edge of the penalty area, tumbles under a challenge of Kraft, he stays down, but nothing given by the referee Craig Pawson. Well, they're looking at the Rashford challenge again, Craig Pawson now has given the penalty, Fernandez with a hop, skip and a jump, and it's saved, saved superbly by Carl Darlow. Nigel, this is Manchester United time now, they've got to win the game from this situation. Bruno Fernandez scores, <laughs> an outstanding goal on the breakaway, back towards Wan-Bissaka again, striding through and scoring an outstanding goal, Aaron Wan-Bissaka with his first ever goal, and what an absolute cracker, Bruno Fernandez striding clear, oh outstanding finish, from Marcus Rashford and Manchester United cutting loose here at St James's Park and Manchester United are back. They lead here by four goals to one. First of all, for 15 quid, I'd expect a little bit more. I repeat, <laughs> look, us guys are very privileged that we had access in our studio, so we didn't have to pay for it. So, you know, it's a bit different for us, but we feel very lucky about that. But it's, it's five minutes before kickoff. Graphic comes up, commentator, voiceover, game, ad, half time, stats, voiceover, break, promo, second half, good night. I'm not sure the production cost can be 15 quid because they could just take the world feed, stick a fader up, and say play. So uh, it's a little bit disingenuous to charge people extra when you, you know, there's no Kelly Cates presenting the programme or, or uh, you know, Jake Humphrey linking in and out of post and pre-match interviews. It's just a commentator with a microphone. Gary Taphouse did it very well on the Sunday night game. But it, it's, it's, it's not a full-on Sky or BT production, is it? I mean, it, it really is sort of bare-bones stuff. Is it worth it? Yeah, well, no, clearly it isn't worth it. There were no highlights, well, sorry, only highlights at half-time, no analysis. Um, and didn't Richard Masters, when this was announced, the Premier League chief executive promise that there would be full production behind these pay-per-view games? I think he said it was to do with the production cost, and that's why I was sort of pointing out the fact that there wasn't any production on it, and 15 quid, really. I mean, it, it followed the format of, and we have been fortunate to know this, of how they produced the world feed. And the world, you know, they, they could have just taken that. It would have been just as easy for them to do that. Um, very strange way of uh, operating it, I think. Maybe they are all just trying to keep the cost down. Maybe that they themselves have been affected by the pandemic. But I don't think it looks particularly good when you're charging £15 to season ticket holders. People have probably already paid some or haven't got their money back from last season um, to watch their team. And then they're having to pay an extra £15 for the offering. Anyway, shall we start with the Sheffield United-Fulham game? Because that was actually quite a good game, wasn't it? I don't think many people thought it was going to be. Were you commentating for this uh, on TalkSport <laughs> International, Crook? 
I was, uh, and you're right. It was it was a very entertaining game um, between two teams who went into the weekend without a point between them. I, I think on the face of it, it, it's a better result for Fulham than for Sheffield United. Yeah. Um, although if you watch the game closely, obviously Mitrovic has missed a penalty, he's missed a really good header at the end as well. So on that basis, I think Scott Parker will be disappointed that they didn't win the game. Totally, uh, but it's a point away from home against a team that last season were almost impenetrable at home. So he'll look at this, they're on the board, he, he can put a positive spin on it and he did after the game. He did, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about Sheffield United, but for Fulham, yeah, I, I agree with what Crook was saying there. I think they'll be more happy with the point. But just Sheffield United seem to have come away from what made them so successful last season. They were hard to beat. Um, we know they didn't have a centre-forward in their squad that scored that many goals, but they kind of collectively shared it around. But they always had that kind of defensive base to build off. Well, now when you're not scoring goals and defensively you're shaky, that's a recipe for a disaster. So I'm a little bit concerned about, uh, about Sheffield United this season. It would have been eight mm. defeats in a row for the first time in their history in the league. Obviously, the late penalty from Billy Sharp. Uh, saved them from setting that unwanted record. But Jack O'Connell is a massive loss because massive. because the key part of their success last season was a settled back line, the overlapping centre-backs, and they haven't really replaced him. I know that Chris Wilder privately was quite frustrated that they didn't manage to get in a, a defender from the EFL on Friday. Uh, Terence Congolo was mentioned, but obviously ended up going elsewhere. They looked at Diego Rico at Bournemouth as well. I think he expected someone in and... I think it is going to be a, a season of struggle for them. Rian Brewster, there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders, yeah. came on for a cameo, didn't really get too involved in the game. So as Darren's articulated there, if you're conceding goals suddenly at one end and you, you were never really scoring them anyway, it's a dangerous combination. They missed chances as well, didn't they? McBurney had a couple of good chances. He didn't put them away. I mean, he only got six goals last season. He looks as if that's the sort of limit of his ability, really. I mean, they only really got back into the game because Fulham made a huge mistake. I mean, that free kick, Ariola fumbles it, Mitrovic is loose with his attempted clearance, and then Billy Sharp smashes in the penalty. Um, but I think for, for, for Fulham, new look team, mm. the positives were certainly there. Ruben Loftus-Cheek looked strong and comfortable on the ball, some neat touches. And I was really impressed with Adam Ola-Lukman because what he does, what he gives you, is he'll carry the ball. He carries the ball. He picks the ball up. He drags you up the pitch. And the sheer force of nature, actually, got the goal for, for, for Fulham, which almost won them all three points. Yeah, and it's strange that his career took such a nosedive because he did really well on loan at RB Leipzig. They signed him permanently and it just didn't happen for him. But he looked more like the type of player that did so well in the Bundesliga in his first season. He, he, he carries a threat. He, he's very stocky and as a result has that sort of low centre of gravity as well. But I was also impressed with uh, Adarabayo at the other end because obviously Fulham's big problem uh, yes. is that they Leaking concede the too many chances. But he looks like someone who could develop into a real leader. Uh, Chelsea are becoming quite frustrating, aren't they? Um, <laughs> to the point where it's not even irritating anymore, is it? You just sort of resign to it. I mean, two great goals from Timo Werner, sumptuous, wonderful goals, an assist for him as well. And then he looks behind him and he just must think, what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? Like, going forward, they are superb. And I, I think Zuma's done okay of recent times, but the, the goalkeeper is certainly an issue. And I, and I know um, they brought in Mendy, but for whatever reason, and I, I can't quite understand it. And Frank's got to take 
all the blame for this because we know that Kepa's got no confidence whatsoever. He's, he's not low on confidence. He's got no confidence right now. And yet, when whenever there's an injury or they, before they got Mendy, they kept playing him and playing him. And every time Kepa's played, he's made a mistake that's cost you a goal or even a, a, a result. So the fact that he keeps pick uh, keeps picking him, and the first goal was a prime example. The, I think it was no, the second goal was a prime example where Zuma, yeah, he has undercooked the back pass, but Kepa's got an opportunity to just clear it, wipe out. What is he doing? What is he, he trying to do? I don't it, understand what he was trying to do because he comes running towards the ball and before instead of kicking it. He decides to sort of slide Just on leave his knees it, yeah. like he's scored a weldy and he's celebrating in front of the corner. And then doesn't even use his hands. Doesn't use he his hands. completely loses the ball. <laughs> he comes back off the post. He's got another opportunity, by the way, to then get rid of it and still make up for the mistake he's just made. And it doesn't happen. But the fact is, Frank keeps picking him. So I don't know if he's maybe being stubborn and saying, well, I know everyone's hammering him, so I'm going to stick by him. But I don't think it's that. I think it's almost like a political thing where he thinks he can't kill him too much because ultimately this is a £72 million asset. And the... And you know, he can't be third choice goalkeeper. He, you know, he can't pick a kid and play, play ahead of him because otherwise it looks incredibly bad. But look, they, they aren't the only team in the league that can't defend because loads of teams have considered lots of goals over this period. But the collapses have happened too often. The frequency of these situations exposes a weakness in mentality and a bit of lack of leadership on the field. Yeah, uh, listen, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that because when you look around that team as well, you start thinking, where are their leaders? And I think that that's a, a big, big concern. I still think the Canty playing that position is a, 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 a problem Contact. as well, a real big problem, um, which we spoke about earlier, <laughs> by the way. That, that's still a problem. But for me, for Frank, I know you said there about political with a goalkeeper as well. But remember, it's costed him, him his performances as well. So if he continues down this... It's going to... The keeper's going to kill him. Exactly. It's gonna, it's and, that, and, that's the, and, that, and that's what he needs to understand is that he may, he may be political and he's like, well, I can't really have a £72 million goalkeeper being third choice. But it might end up costing him his job if he don't start winning games. Well, I mean, it's probably quite fortunate the fact that everybody else has had these terrible meltdowns as well. But and Chelsea look like they are a real force going forward. But... Ultimately, I mean, defensively, it was it was so bad, and it's the mentality thing of you know going two nil up and then letting in two goals before half time. It's just or it's just awful, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Um, let's talk about Newcastle against Manchester United. Um, Crooky, Manchester United were actually so much better in this game. It was frightening. Twenty eight shots to uh, Newcastle's. I think they had two or something. Twice the number of passes, seven corners to none. But if David De Gea doesn't make a magnificent save from Callum Wilson at 1-1, you're thinking to yourself, with United's recent history, could have gone either way. And in fairness, when they conceded inside two minutes, <laughs> I thought there'd only be one winner. So um, credit to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his players for the okay. way they, they managed okay. to, to turn that situation around. I mean, I, I messaged Should you, Sam. that bit up? What do you reckon? <laughs> Just give him credit. Yeah. <laughs> I messaged you before the game and said that I wasn't impressed with the team lineup at all. They proved me wrong. Uh, one matter was, was exceptional. I thought um, Donny van der Beek made a big impact as well and, and he will be frustrated that he's not played more minutes so far. But it, it begs the question now, what do they do against Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League? I mean, I'd imagine that, that one matter, due to his lack of mobility, probably won't be trusted in that game, but does he go back to, to plan A or having made so many changes and been served so well by the, the players that came into the team, does it does he keep faithfully going to sell sure it's a conundrum? Just to say what you actually said was that United team is possibly the worst in my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one for bold statements, am I? 
Um, I think they should keep one matter in the team because I think, especially in the Champions League, where the game is just a slightly little bit slower, and he's got the real nous and technical ability to cause teams like Paris Saint-Germain problem. I mean, Paris Saint-Germain beat Nîmes on Friday night by four goals to nil. They had 76% possession. Mbappe scored twice. They've had an extra 24 hours uh, to rest. I mean, you're walking into the lion's den here. You need all the experience you can get. And a Champions League winner who has created a Champions League winning goal and has got great history, by the way, in the Champions League with Manchester United as well. I mean, I think it would be silly to ditch him, wouldn't it, Darren? Yeah, I mean, he's he's got real quality. And as you said, there, sometimes he can just kind of slow the game down, keep possession, and he can maybe unlock doors. But I think when you're going against a team like Paris Saint-Germain, high intensity, high energy, he can end up being a passenger at times. And as you said, when he's got the ball, yeah, superb, as it keeps it moving, will take possession in tight areas, take a little bit of the pressure off. But when it's 100 miles an hour, and you talk about some pace in, in the Paris Saint-Germain team, in midfield, up and down, he might end up just becoming a bit lost and he might be a passenger. So I think in this type of game, I potentially would bring him on rather than start him against Paris Saint-Germain. You, you talked about Chelsea, the lack of leaders. I have to say that, that one matter I think is a bit of a leader in, yeah. in that yeah. Manchester United dressing room. Probably not of the vocal variety, but certainly someone who, who leads by example. And somebody else who, who, who did that on Saturday, and it's no surprise because he's been doing it on and off the pitch, was Marcus Rashford, who, who hasn't had too many opportunities in recent months to play as that out-and-out striker. But he did it superbly. The way he led the line, he, he held the ball up, he... he obviously had a couple of assists and then got a goal for himself. I was really pleased for him. And I, I did um, say after the England international break that actually the last couple of performances he produced for England were more like the Marcus Rashford yeah. of old. And, and yeah. maybe finally he's over that back problem and, and can start to sparkle once again. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, Leicester against Aston Villa. Another one of the pay-per-view games. Uh, certainly not worth the entrance fee, even though... <laughs> Even the commentator actually said it was lacking entertainment. And when the winner went in, Gary Taphouse, who was commentating the game, he said it belonged in a different game in terms of quality, that shot. <laughs> That's how bad that game was. Um, but it's four wins in a row now for Aston Villa. Their best start in 90 years. Uh, and a late, the late goal means no goal of straws in the Premier League, by the way, this season so far. So that sort of continues the trend of lots of goals. But I was really pleased for Ross Barkley. I mean, a really good finish from him. Excellent goal. He played a little bit further up the pitch in the first half. At half-time, they realised it wasn't working. They switched it round a little bit. He played a little bit deeper. And, you know, I thought they were the better team in the second half. Yeah, they played really well. Um, and what, what I like about this Aston Villa team is that they found a way to kind of win ugly because that, that was their problem before. They couldn't keep clean sheets, um, too easy to play against, conceded too many goals. But now Dean Smith has kind of addressed that issue. I mean, the goalkeeper is a massive, massive um, positive because he has made big saves in big games, which has kind of changed the tie for them. But when you look at Ross Barkley's performance, as you said there, it's like a weight's been lifted off his shoulders. I think people looked at him at, um, at Chelsea, expectation, can he handle the, the big stage? And he might, he might have struggled probably more than he probably would have hoped but he's gone to Aston Villa and he's now alongside a Grealish he's got McGinn who looks fully fit Ollie Watkins in front of him he really looks like he's in a really good place and happy place and I think he's really going to affect this, this Aston Villa team two goals in his last two games but we know it's never been a question of quality with Ross Barkley because we know he's got the, quali the quality in abundance it was just can he get a run of games in so we can actually see the best form and I think at Aston Villa with Dean Smith who really believes in him it looks like I think we'll start to see the very very best of Ross Barkley no Soyonchu, no Madison to start with. He came off the bench. Vardy out, no NDD. We ended up seeing Islam Slimani in a Leicester shirt for the first time in nearly three years. Um, obviously, Leicester have been affected by injuries, 
but they've lost at home again. And that's a bit of a worry for Brendan Rodgers, isn't it, Crook? Yeah, back-to-back home defeats without scoring a goal as well. I think it's a major concern. Um, and I think it highlights today uh, the, the lack of depth they've got in the forward areas when Jamie Vardy isn't fit. And obviously Jamie Vardy is now at the veteran stage of his career, so they do need a plan B. I think Iannaccio has had enough opportunities now to prove himself and has failed to do so. And Slomani just smacks of a bit of desperation, to be honest. Yeah. You mentioned so long not part of the furniture for him to to be brought on in, in, in that scenario just shows where Leicester are at at the moment. And we were we were talking on the boot room about the teams that realistically can challenge for the title. Darren Ambrose was desperate to put Leicester into the conversation, but I just don't <laughs> see it. 100-1 to one now, Leicester City, to win the title. Who do you reckon are the favourites? <laughs> Manchester City. Who's the second favourites? Liverpool. Who's the third favourites? I'd probably say Tottenham. Tottenham Hotspur. Wow, I'm okay. third favourites. Everton are the fourth favourites. Everton and Tottenham are higher up the betting than Chelsea, Manchester United, and Arsenal. Um, I mean, I don't know if that sort of shows the fickleness of the uh, the betting market. Or where's, whether it, where's Villa? Uh, Sixty-six to one. They are just below Arsenal, so they're eighth, eighth favourite. I mean, they're, they're not title contenders, contenders, Villa, but what they are is the only team in the top five European leagues with a one hundred percent record. I don't think yeah. any of us would have predicted that. And it's incredible. I mean, it really is. I mean, when you think back to last year and the number of points they dropped and the goals that they leaked, they were so porous. They haven't changed the personnel or they hadn't changed the personnel of the defence that much prior to the start of this season. It's only now that they've added in two new fullbacks to really give them a bit more thrust going forward, but also retain that solidity. I think, they've done it. I think Dean Smith has done a, a fantastic job in turning it around. And, you know, they've got a very the basis of a very good team there. I, I don't know what you think about my assertion that a random might win the Premier League this year. I mean, is that a little bit overbold, do you think? Or or do you think actually we might see something different, Darren? Um, yeah, I mean, this if ever it was going to happen, a little bit like when Leicester won it, I think we're seeing that again this season. I mean, you could, Aston Villa, as you said, they're 100% record. And obviously the question is, people say, well, who have they played? Well, they've played the Premier League champions and give them a hiding. So they have played somebody of, of, of note. But you, potentially, I, I still think Manchester City are the team to beat because I think of all the performances this season, and you look at all the teams, I think if one team could string 10 wins on the bounce together quite comfortably, it would be Manchester City. So I still think they're the ones to beat. But if Everton keep picking up results, Villa, um, you know, Spurs other than today, keep picking up results, then I, I think it truly will be open. I sort of agree in that I think Everton, if they keep their first 11 fit, and that's a big if, because if they were to lose Alan or, or, or Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think they would have a problem. But yeah. because we're seeing so many strange results, it isn't beyond the realms of fantasy. However, I think once they settle down, once he works out what his best choice defence is, once De Bruyne is fully fit, once Aguero's reintegrated into the team, it's hard to see past Manchester City now, especially with that serious injury for Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, indeed. Okay, um, right. I'd be interested to see how many people watched ha- the paper pay-per-view games. I'd like to see a breakdown. I've got this sort of prediction that I think that probably there was more kicks on Jack Grealish's calf than there were viewers for that Leicester City <laughs> first in Aston Villa game over the course of 90 minutes. Last but not least, the M23 derby. Yes, this oddest of derbies finished 1-1, but I think we can probably all agree that only one team deserved to win it, and that was Brighton. Um, The penalty awarded in this game, which got Crystal Palace their goal, was softer than a duck-down pillow with a satin cover. 
I mean, Lamptey bringing down Batshuayi. Did anybody else actually think it was a penalty? I didn't, certainly not. No, I, I definitely didn't think. I thought he went down a little bit too easy. Yeah, I agree. It was uh, one of the softest penalties you will ever see awarded. It was their only shot on target, wasn't it, as well? So, I mean, you look at the stats, Brighton definitely deserved something from that game. But before they equalised, I was just about to uh, to message Benty and say, I actually fear a bit for Brighton because they've played really well in virtually every game this season, but they haven't won many of them. And, and that isn't a great place to be. And I think they play much better football than under Chris Hewton. I've been quite public about that. But they're still not really turning their domination into points. And that that's going to make it a difficult season. Obviously, they signed yeah, Danny Welbeck. I, I get that. I get that. But I, I think they are. Their, their football's so good and they played so well today. They're not going to play that well again and not not win a match. I mean, Well, they did it against I, Manchester I think, United and got beat. I, I totally agree with you. But I think, I think it will turn. I think if you play well like that over the course of a, a series of months, in the end, you know, performances outweigh bad luck don't they uh, Bentley they do yeah um, but I'm, I'm kind of a crookie on this one as well but I mean they've brought in Danny Welbeck and I don't think that's going to make any difference whatsoever if I'm, no, if I'm totally a, it's honest it's a chance signing isn't it it's a chance because if you look at throughout his career you know, not only has he the injuries which have been unfortunate but he's never really been a prolific goal scorer anyway so I think mm. you, you need goals and Brighton the way they play I think they always play really well and more pay can score goals but I think they've always played well really well up to a certain point which is just outside the 18 yard box yeah and then, that's a good point and then in and around the box, I think at times if Morpay's not in there, I think they struggle. But I think signing someone like a Danny Welbeck, I'm not quite sure what what is he offering that that they haven't already got because he, as I said, he doesn't score many goals at all. I just think that um, they're, they're not going to get relegated, Brighton. They're not going to get relegated because there are, without doubt, three worst teams that score less goals than them. Yeah, but I mean, they'll be looking nervously over their yeah, shoulders they unless Possibly. they start picking up victories on a regular basis, and they Possibly. haven't really done that under Graham Potter. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, let's talk about Crystal Palace, though, because I think prior to the start of the season, Crook, you sort of identified them as a possible relegation candidate. Now, we don't know what's going to happen over the course of the next few months, but they had um, 34% possession and one shot on target at home in a derby. They had 29% possession versus Chelsea with zero shots on target. They had one shot on target against Everton. They've had two shots on target in three games, and one of those was a penalty. I mean, they're quite lucky that there's no fans, aren't they? Well, you certainly wouldn't pay to watch them on pay-per-view, would you? <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I think their luck's going to run out at some stage. You, you can't... It's almost the opposite of what I'm saying about Brighton. You can't keep playing that badly and, and, and winning matches. Um, oh. what, what they're very good at is when they get their nose in front, they're quite hard to pen back. And the fact it took Brighton until the... The 95th minute is an illustration of that. But but it's dreadful to watch, isn't it? It is, isn't it? and I'd imagine it'd be dreadful to play in. I mean, if you're someone like Wilfred Zaha, who would consider himself a flair player, I can't imagine he particularly enjoys you know going what? to I work. Th- I, th- I think he actually would, because every time someone gets the ball, they give it to him. But I do fear for Palace, because I think they rely way too much on him. And I think he's a very, very good player, but he doesn't score enough goals, doesn't assist enough. So I'm not quite sure what kind of productivity you're going to get out of Crystal Palace this season. I mean, they've got seven points from their opening five games. Uh, they've won away at Manchester United, which, OK, they, I think they were they were just fitter, stronger, more organised on that day. They'd started their season prior to, to Manchester, the pre-season prior to Manchester United, who, who looked a little bit uh, rough and ready, and it was their first game of the campaign. But, I mean, they're just... 
they're just existing, aren't they? I mean, if you're Crystal Palace and their owners, surely you're looking at this and you're thinking, I, I, I'm not sure there's, there's much sort of forward thinking going on or there's, not, there's no progression here, is there? I mean, it's more regression. Yeah, but at the moment, because of the financial implications of COVID-19, it's probably more important than ever before to make sure that you keep your place in the Premier League and you stay on that particular gravy train because yeah. you don't want to drop into the EFL. So I would imagine that is first and foremost Steve Parrish's thinking and in Roy Hodgson, he's got a manager who he will believe and history would probably back it up, doesn't get teams relegated. So I don't think they'll go down. I don't think it'll be a season of scintillating football, but what they might well do is look at their managerial options next summer and possibly decide to go in a different direction. Uh, we should have a quick look at uh, what's happening on Monday night. Um, the games between West Bromwich Albion and Burnley and Leeds against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, how many people are going to pay to watch West Bromwich Albion against Burnley? Uh, <laughs> Do you want me to um, answer that? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sean Dyche says loads because um, the, the amount of goals that have been scored in all the games this season, I mean, it shows you how entertaining the Premier League is going to be. Uh, can I have higher or lower than a five? Lower, lower. Not tuning in now, neither of you. I think I'm busy. Sorry, unfortunately, I think I'm I'm doing so guilt. <laughs> I think I'm going to the dentist. Yeah. I, I haven't booked an appointment yet, but I will do. Uh, West Bromwich Albion need to start putting some points on the board. Um, it's a big game for actually both of them because it could kickstart their season. I am interested in watching the eight o'clock game, Leeds against uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, and I'm, I'm very interested in watching that yeah. match. Uh, because I, I can't wait to see Marcelo be able to take on Nuno Espirito Santo. I know that Wolves have been slightly um, vulnerable at times over the course of, of, of the season, but they've still got top talents. Um, I just think it'll be a cracking match-up, don't you? Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I mean, I love the way Wolves play. I know they've lost a couple of key pieces in Jota and, and, and Doherty, but um, yeah, they're still exciting to watch. Kept hold of Jimenez, Triori still there, so they are exciting, but Leeds, I mean, Leeds just find a way Bielsa energy intensity um, and that's my only question about Leeds is can they keep up this intensity all, all season because when you're when you're playing such a high frequency you're going to get injuries but it doesn't seem to affect Leeds United so it's, it's an intri- intriguing game but I make Leeds the favourite just of what I've seen so far at the start of this season I'd probably say Leeds are the favourites for that game that's a fascinating discussion isn't it because what Leeds do is is they design a system and a way of working and then they put people in those positions to operate a certain job. If one of those personnel, let's not make any bones about it, a lot of those players probably wouldn't have played Premier League football if it wasn't for the fact that Marcelo Bielsa had designed this system and got the best out of them. Um, That's not being disrespectful to any of them, but some of them have been at clubs and not made it before. Um, But they just switch in somebody somebody else, don't they? I mean, Harrison was suspended the other week, so they put in Alioski because he's the one that comes in, he's the deputy in that position and it works for them. On the discussion about whether they can maintain the intensity over the course of the season, the fact is, is actually they're playing less games this season than they did last season. This is how they play. So I, I don't think the intensity will be an issue, will it, Crook? No, I don't think it will either. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of Harrison. I've articulated that on this podcast before. Um, I think the fact they're not having to play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday like they were week in, week out in the Championship means they'll probably avoid that sort of end of season lull that was a problem certainly in Bielsa's early time in, in charge the there. Season, yeah. um, but I actually think this could be a good fixture for Wolves because they're quite content to play against teams who have more of the ball than them and, and use the pace of the likes of Traore, 
to try and hit them on the counter-attack. So I, I'm not as confident as Darren that, that, that Leeds will win this game. I, I actually quite fancy Wolves to, I guess you could say, spring a bit of a surprise. But we know that both managers are, are master tacticians. They will have both spent the, the days leading up to the game trying to exploit weaknesses um, in their opponents. I think there'll be goals. I, I could see Wolves coming out on the end of a, a 3-2 victory, something like that. Okay, uh, what you got this week? I'm doing PSG versus Manchester United on Tuesday. Uh, what, what are you up to, Crook? Uh, no, I've got a relatively quiet week this week. No transfer deadline day. Um, that's obviously filled my time for the past couple of weeks. And then I've got commentary on Saturday. So I've got a few uh, clear days. And then Watford against Bournemouth in the Championship on Saturday. You've just been walking around the streets of London looking for ex-Arsenal <laughs> players to sign your book. <laughs> <laughs> I will, actually. I've got Theo Walcott and David Seaman in my sights next week. Yeah, he just keeps going. He just walked into our studio today and just plonked a load of books down in front of Perry Groves <laughs> and said, sign those, will you, son? And then tried to sell them on Twitter. Unbelievable. Uh, Darren, what are you up to this week? I've uh, got a few breakfasts. Um, talk about breakfast. I've got a bit of Premier League okay. TV. Could you just be a little bit careful when you're on the TalkSport breakfast this week and don't say something ridiculous that Andy Cole has to pull you up on like you did last week? I think Darren Ambrose has already done that by tipping Tottenham to win the title. (laughs) He didn't. He did. (laughs) While while they were 3-0 up and literally before he'd finished the sentence, it was 3-0. Fantastic. Great. We'll drag him in next Sunday. That'll be good fun. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Uh, We'll be back uh, when you uh, make your way home on Thursday night uh, with a look forward to all the Premier League games over the weekend. Uh, I'll be with Darren Lewis and Alex Crook on Thursday. So make sure you uh, download the pod to get the best previews to the weekend's football. Please subscribe and rate on your pod provider. We'll be back very shortly. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.